a new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Did I give you the wrong coffee? No. Huh? No. Get him out! Here. Peter, go back to your, your little man cave. We might not make it to 57 years. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> well, now you got a career. Who needs them? That's right. <laughs> what are those hangers on? Rita, do you know who we're going to be hearing today? We're going to hear a great duo, Lois and Jane. And from what I hear, these are two terrific people, and they're so similar, they're like almost one. I'm very much looking forward to it. 
please pass me the page with the obits. I cheer those who hit 93 on a very good day with the obits. All the old folks are older than me. Lois Stein is my grandmother. She's 89 years old, and she lives in Long Island. She is the greatest grandmother of all time. She is so popular. She's so bright. She's so talented and funny, and I'm incredibly close to her. She's just like me. Her full name is Jane Rebecca Rosenfeld. This recording was the first time we'd seen each other in four months because of the coronavirus. We'd talked on the phone and through FaceTime through the whole shutdown, but there's really nothing like seeing her in person. If you asked me to describe her, I would say vivacious, energetic, friendly, warm. Everybody loves her. That's not where she's like me. Kind, interesting, the best teacher. We really think of each other more as friends than as grandmother and grandchild. Even more than that, almost as an older and younger version of the same person. It was very early on in my life that we discovered our special bond. I came to her second birthday and everybody was playing. She came over to me and said, wanna play, Nana? (laughs) And we went into the bedroom and we played. Yeah, I was more excited about having my grandma play with me than the, like, 50 friends that my parents had probably invited. (laughs) I remember telling my mom, whispering in her ear, like, can she sleep over? From then on, I think we've always had a lot of fun together. One word of advice for new grandmothers. Feed them. It's just like a puppy dog. The first movie I ever saw in theaters was with my grandma. We went to go see The Wizard of Oz. There was this movie theater really close to where I grew up on the Upper West Side. It was on the East Side, actually. No, it was the one on 100th and Broadway. You sure? Yeah, I'm positive. Okay. And I was so, so scared. (laughs) I think I remember, like, asking if we could leave. She chooses two seats in the top (laughs) row in a corner. And she was wearing a blue and white check dress like Dorothy. (laughs) But I was really scared of that movie for many years. I was too. Yeah, you were too, see? The monkeys. (laughs) I have to smile because that movie theater is right near where I live and it's still there closed and it is a scary movie she's right i love the closeness that they have and i love the byplay between the two of them and their wonderful memories seem to be the same memories although jane said it was on the east side and the grandmother said it was on the west side and it was rita she's 89 years old i'm 90 and i remember rita there's nobody like you I loved it. I thought my granddaughter and I were close. They're even closer. They're adorable. And I read obits. If I don't see my name, I get out of bed. (laughs) When you get to our age, you read obits. It's a sick thing to do, but we read it. My mother used to get the New York Times every day, and the first thing she went to was the obits. And then she would read them and go, oh, 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 I 
what? What's the matter, Mom? A Jewish man. There could be 90,000 other people who had died, but my mother used to say, ah, a Jewish man. <laughs> I look at the obits and I say, if I don't see myself, I'm thrilled. That's right. And my sister and I, we want to make sure that they do the right thing. So we both wrote obits, which we're holding to give when we go. Oh, I have one. I have absolutely got one that I wrote. Nobody knows me better than I do. I said, I don't need a big funeral. Just make sure my open is posted in the New York Times. And then you write, you know, something like, with thousands in attendance, <laughs> the congregation mourned. <laughs> right? I told my kids, I'm not going to die in the pandemic because you can't have a funeral. And when I go, I want a big funeral. I want everybody coming. I want everybody crying. I want everybody to say nice things, even if they don't mean it. If I'm around... I want to give a eulogy. I'm going to tell my kids, she's very good at this. She does a terrific eulogy. Ellen, if they do the podcast, you can be hired for eulogy. Now that you have a career, you do podcasts and eulogies. And eulogies. I call my company P&E. P&E, podcasts and eulogies. We can laugh about these things. What can I tell you? Know what? I don't do? think I laugh with anybody like I laugh with you, Rita. Okay, I was just handed a list of part titles, and this is the first one, part one. How to make friends and influence people. My grandmother has this extraordinary ability to make friends. She has stories of seeing what a person's reading on the subway and talking to them about it, or walking down the street and complimenting someone on what they're wearing and becoming friends with my friends. And then before you know it, you're invited to the pool and you're invited for Thanksgiving. At the end of the hour, I might ask you over. Somehow though, you still have time to talk to me. We talk every single night. We do the crossword mini puzzle. As soon as it goes live at 10. And we have a competition. And she would give me a handicap. So she had to do it 50% faster <laughs> than me to win. She has more of a party nightlife sleep schedule than I do. Because I watch Kobea and I go to bed at 10 of 12 because then my son Richard calls to discuss Kobea. And then she's up at like 11 in the morning. Nine. I don't come down till 12 because it takes me three hours to get ready when it used to take me 10 minutes. And then there are the lists. She'll make lists about anything. Lists of all her friends, lists of all her kids' friends, lists of all the people who help her around the house, who she's eventually going to owe money to one day when she dies. And then recently she's been making a list of all of her friends who have died, just to compare the numbers, which I've told her she should stop doing because it makes her sad, but she actually seems to enjoy it quite a bit. 92. 92. But I have 92 replacements. <laughs> and usually the replacements are the people who have died, their children, and their grandchildren who love her. Soon, Lois will be 90. She'd been planning her 90th birthday party for years, but then... The pandemic arrived. 
the governor had stated that you could only have parties in groups of 10 or less, one of the things she mentioned was having nine different parties of 10 people. (laughs) And they kind of correspond to the list. A party of her family, a party of her dead friend's children, a party of all the people who help her around the house, a party of her neighbors. I would have had a party with 125. My grandmother and I tell each other everything. And in the process, we've discovered that our lives overlap in countless ways. So we decided early on we should write a book together. So, for example, I'll write about the first time I was in love and we'll compare and see how they are the same, see how they're different depending on time and place. And the title is Then and Now. My grandmother has mastered the art of getting exactly what she wants out of life. I've always thought she must have gotten this from her parents, who seemed to turn every situation into an advantage. I grew up in the Bronx opposite the Yankee Stadium. They put in night baseball for the first time, and it shone into my father's bedroom. And my father was an attorney, and he wrote them a letter that he'd serve them with an injunction if they did not turn off the lights. And they wrote back, Mr. Feinberg, you're in your legal rights, but instead of ruining the pleasure of millions of people, will you be our guest with your family in a box seat for every night baseball game? I wish we still had those box seats. Things like that always seemed to happen to you when you were growing up. And did that make me popular? (laughs) So you were like the cool girl in the apartment building? I don't know if I was cool. I always thought I was a drip. (laughs) I still was like a ringleader. Why do you think you were a drip? Because I was tall. That was my biggest hang up. I don't know. I just didn't swing the way a lot of the girls did. I'd never be picked to be a cheerleader or something. You're not a drip, Nana. I realize that now, finally. She's funny. She's really got a good sense of humor. She's moving her life along very nicely, the grandmother. Absolutely. The granddaughter's amazed at the things the grandmother does. You know what I, I'm, I'm so interested in is the, the disparity in age, and yet there's such a closeness. Right. It's, it's real friendship, and I envy that. I have to say, she and I have a lot in common. I, if I make a list to go to the supermarket, I forget the list at home. No matter what list I make... It gives you something to do if you make lists. You may never use them, but it kind of keeps your mind in order, you know? I do keep lists of the medications I take, for which I probably need about four cell phones. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Ellen, you know it's time for commercial break. Okay, it's fine. It gives me time to have a fight with Peter. A fight or a bite? A fight. (laughs) A fight. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. 
I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, the next part is part two, Embarrassing Parents. My parents were lawyers, including my mother. And I was so ashamed of that because everybody else's mother was a housewife. And when I was at school, the teacher asked everybody what their father did. And then she went, and Lois, tell the children what your mother does. And I said, she's a housewife. Wow, really? Yes. Oh, my goodness. People would think it's so cool that she was. In this generation. Yeah. Right. And the other thing was we had air raid drills. And not only was she the only woman air raid warden, she was the sector warden. So I was ashamed of that, too. But yet I had a very good relationship with her. Yeah. I don't see me resembling either of them in my way of life. 
Did somebody else entirely kind of influence you? No. <laughs> You've just sort of paved I, I, your own way? No, I just influence people. <gasps> oh, my goodness. You're a trailblazer. <laughs> I went to law school like she did, but not to be a lawyer. I wanted to meet a guy. <laughs> no, I didn't want to be a pace setter like she was, but I think I became one. Yeah, maybe unintentionally, you actually really admired everything your mother did. I guess so. She ran an international women's exposition. It was wartime, and Eleanor Roosevelt came to speak. And my mother asked me to escort her from the entrance to the stage. And I didn't want to go take some old lady there. And she said, if you don't do this, you'll regret it all your life. So I did it. And she did nothing but ask me about myself all the way to the stage. And my mother was right. I'm still telling people about <laughs> Eleanor and FDR, unbelievable couple. Unbelievable. She actually was his, you know, his legs in the world. She went all over and brought back all the information. Yes, yeah, she was She was really like the surrogate president. She was a woman way before her time, way before her time. Absolutely. That's something she'll always have as a, as a memory. And you know what it means? You got to take advantage of things in life, no matter when. Just go with it. That's what makes life. You got to hang on to every experience because you'll never know when you're doing a podcast. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Ellen, terrific. <laughs> Imagine to be ashamed to be a lawyer. Unbelievable. It just shows you how times have changed. And as I said once before on the podcast, I would have loved to have been a lawyer. And I think I would have been good. But it just was not an option. Look at RBG. She couldn't right. even get a job when she got out. Of, of top law schools, number one in Harvard Law. No, Columbia Law. She got out of Columbia Law. Columbia, she went so times have changed. Women have the opportunity today. Yes, yes. And now we're going to see, in part three, how Lois met her husband. I'm always curious about how people meet their husbands. This should be very interesting. So you were a third grade teacher at the time, and a new third grade teacher at a different school asked for your advice on what to teach her students, and she was really impressed with your lesson plans. The teacher there said, oh, my nephew would love a girl like that. So she asked me, and I said, I don't go on a blind date. She said he has a drugstore on 135th Street. We could go up and look him over. So you and your friend Esther went to the pharmacy to introduce yourselves to Lenny. And after a brief exchange, you left the pharmacy and my grandfather had you followed by his delivery boy. And what was it you said to Esther? I said to her, not bad, not bad. And then the delivery boy brought the message back to my grandfather at the pharmacy. He said to Lenny, they say, not bad, not bad. A few weeks after that, Esther ran into Lenny at a bar mitzvah they both happened to be invited to. And Esther said to him, what did you think of the girl I brought in the drugstore? And he said, not bad. Not bad. So Esther wrote Lois's name on a napkin and handed it to Lenny. But there was another woman at the party who wanted Lenny for her daughter. 
She wrote her daughter's name on a napkin, too, and handed it to him. And as fate would have it, in all of this napkin transferring... He lost the other napkin. Then he called. This was all sounding very promising. He was terrific as a date. So he took me up to Connecticut and he brought an easel and made sketches of it. And he took me ice skating and he took me to theater. Oh, he was very imaginative. No, I liked my courtship. (laughs) My courtship. And I really began to like him. But there was a problem. He had never been in the service. And nobody in those days that was dating me hadn't served in the service. And he looked perfectly healthy. And I said, did you ever spend time in a mental institution? And he said, I took you to theater and dancing and you think I'm crazy? And it turned out that he'd had punctured eardrums since he was five. And in those days, they didn't put you in the service if you weren't, you know, perfect. He asked me to marry him. The next day he called and said, his mother said it was too soon. He didn't know me long enough, so we should call it off. So I did. And I made a date with somebody else that weekend. Wow, you were not waiting for anyone. Oh, but there were two people in between. Um, What? I didn't even know that. Oh my gosh, all right. Well, you've certainly met your fair share of men. And Lenny at the pharmacy still wanted to see you. I said to him, I have to do it in two weeks because I told the other guy I'd go out with him next week. Apparently, my grandfather was okay with this because you kept your date with the new guy to go dancing and you had a great time, right? But you did save the following weekend for my grandfather. I played with his nephew, a nine-month-old baby, and he watched me and he said, Are you going to marry me or not? She went to her friend Hilda for advice. She said, Lois, a bird in hand is worth two in the bush. (laughs) Three months later... She married my grandfather. I didn't want him to change his mind. Wow, the minute I heard that the mother thought it was too soon, that would have been the kiss of death for me. Madam, she's all right. She she went out, held him on the side. She's shrewd. She knows how to play the angles. Absolutely. She won by default. (laughs) What can I tell you? He was out of the running, the other guy. His napkin went down the toilet. (laughs) And that was the end of that match. I can't add anything to that. She was sensible, you know? She knew a good, steady guy that had a drugstore and would always make a living. My husband was a blind date. uh, Phil was also a blind date, a friend of mine. Worked in an office with Phil's sister. But I tell you, he wore an outfit that should have warned me then. <laughs> he had, to the day when he died, he had the worst taste in clothes. <laughs> Next on the list is part four, to work or not to work. And I think Lois had her own ideas about this. Did you get the sense, Nana? that he would support you as a working woman or did he need to be kind of worked on at all? I'm the least feminist woman walking. Oh, God. I didn't want to work at all. 
The only reason I went back was all the other women did. <laughs> so we couldn't just live on one income if everyone was living on two. Mm. Did you get the sense that he would support you, though? I hoped so. I assumed so. <laughs> he did, in my opinion. <laughs> I thought he'd own a chain of drugstores. Oh, he didn't live up to your expectations? I'm that way. <laughs> So for a woman who didn't want to work, you certainly put a lot of energy into preparing yourself for the working world. You transferred schools so many times. Five times. And I decided to go to law school. I was very good at it, but I didn't like to do paperwork. (laughs) So I took a master's in education and loved it. So, but tell us about how you landed your first teaching job. Wasn't it that you were on your way to interview at an ad agency, but... Then you got sidetracked by the sounds of kids in a schoolyard? I went in and said to the principal, could I walk around, that I had this teaching license. And I told the children the story of Katie No Pockets without a book. And when I came out, she said, someone's going out on maternity. Would you like a job here? Oh, my gosh. That's how I got my first teaching job. But just as your career was getting underway... I got pregnant, and the minute I told them, they made me leave that day. What? Yep. They wouldn't let children see that you were pregnant. Wow. So we've come a long way, baby. (laughs) You can't say we've come a long way, baby, if you're not a feminist. This must have been a serious financial blow to your family at the time. I didn't think of it that way. I just loved what I was doing. It was disappointing. Right. But you just said a minute ago you never even wanted to work in the first place. So if it wasn't a financial necessity, why did you care? I have no one to play with. (laughs) So it was more because you would have been bored. Right. (laughs) I don't know if it was like actually out of you needed the money. No, it was both. It was both. Okay, got it. Got it. And that's how I put in the swimming pool. I Mm. saved my first year's salary. And got a swimming pool. put in the pool. Which we still use today. Right. I was a teacher when I got pregnant with my first child, and I was allowed to work as long as I didn't show. But after that, I had to stay home. Today, you even have women doing newscasts on the television with pregnant bellies. Doesn't matter. That's right. Which is fine. Listen, it's normal. It's nature. It's life. And there's nothing to, to be ashamed of to be pregnant. Absolutely. Okay, Rita, it's time to shut our mouths and let somebody else talk. It's time for a commercial. Well, you need it, Alan. I need a little water to wet my whistle. Go ahead, guys. <laughs> a new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then... Fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of us. We're figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it it would have been been the podcast would have taken a a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, next on my list is part five doing what you want with your time. As a mother, you really don't have your own time. Either I was working or I was with my children. Time was something that was very precious. Let's see what Lois does with her time. Tell about the whole parallel life you lived in the theater while raising your kids. I played the old stripper in Gypsy and the Jewish mother in Come Blow Your Horn in the same month, and I dare Meryl Streep to do that. So who was putting my mom and her siblings to bed? I think they put themselves to bed. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) And you developed a gifted program at the school you taught at, which is actually still in place today. Did you bring home some of those lessons to your own kids? No, I was so tired of the other kids. (laughs) I didn't do that. However, I did read them stories, or take them to theater. Oh, and also, I put them in my plays. David was in Sound of Music. He was one of the things, and I was... One of the things? You mean one of the kids? Yeah. (laughs) And I was a Frau Schmidt, the housekeeper. I hear other people talk about how involved they were with their kids. (laughs) I was involved with me. At least you're honest. Yeah. 
a lot of parents sign their kids up for like all these different activities and you were kind of just like, do whatever you want. Go out in the traffic and play. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. But look how wonderful they turned out. They did turn out well. Do our values and ideas about how to live life match your own? Well, they're different because we're a different generation. Yeah. Like you people are all hung up on careers and women first and all that. Oh, yeah. What a bummer. Women first. You're creating a bed to lie in. Oh. You're making your life hard. Why? Because you got to worry about careers and having families at the same time and whether to marry or not and whether the woman can make more than the man. You got a bunch of problems for no good reason. My God. Everyone thinks I'd be a feminist. Who thinks that? Most people think that because I'm so independent. Well, not your own grandchildren. (laughs) No. And my mother, the lawyer, wasn't a feminist. You raised a feminist. Yes, I did. And she raised some feminists. Yes, she did. What a shame. (laughs) Did you have any problem with the way women were treated in your younger years? I'm so egotistical, I only cared how I was treated. I don't think women were treated badly at all. Oh, God. They had a good racket. Make three meals and then you can do whatever you want. Oh, Nana. No, I'd much rather have been a woman in my 20s than when you people are. Yeah, why? Well, first of all, I want to get married. And you people take forever to get married. <laughs> You um, people. You like to go to work, and I didn't. You're always fighting for some women's rights, and I didn't have to. You didn't have to, or you chose not to? Both. I there didn't you know go. They, they needed them. You didn't know that they needed them? Oh my god, you're so confusing because you lived your life in such a progressive way, and then you say things like that. That's the contradiction. This is a hard question, Ellen. And I, I feel I'm a feminist, and I'm all for you girls having a career and being uh, equal, equal. But it's hard. I mean, you're raising kids, you're, you're keeping a job, and, and you're going for a, uh, to college for a career. You know, she's got a point there, uh, Lois. I, I understand what she's saying. I'm not agreeing with her, but you have to admit, it's easier staying home with the kids, cooking, not more satisfying, probably. I don't know. I think I missed the boat somewhere. I think that women who are are working and have, have a family and whatever, they have a full, rich life. It may be busy and it may be chaotic, but it's fulfilling. It, they're doing what they well, want to do. I don't know. We still carry a lot of old-fashioned ideas. You know, this girl, Jane, sounds just like my Rachel. She's a real feminist activist. She has fights with her mother all the time. That's youth, Rita. That's just youth. And now we've come to part six, from mother to grandmother. Are you proud of where all of them have ended up, all Uh, of your kids? Absolutely. And with all my neglect, every friend says I have the best batch of all. Yeah, you do have good kids. Phenomenal. What about your grandchildren? I have strong relationships with all of them, and I'm crazy about all of them. (laughs) Are you proud of where all three of us have ended up? So proud. Well, have we taught you anything? Here we go again with one of your hard questions. (laughs) 
Oh. <laughs> like what? Like maybe like how to be more um, politically correct. <laughs> no, you told me that I can't say marvelous. Why? You said it's old fashioned. You still say it. Oh, I can't help but say it because I think you're marvelous. Oh. What's your best advice to someone who wants to take full advantage of life's opportunities? Do whatever you want. Don't go fighting a cause. Fight your own. Fight your own cause? Yeah. All right. Live your life to the fullest, everyone. Oh, absolutely. Because you only come through this way once. So do whatever you want. And don't work if you don't have to, I guess. Oh, that's a prime requirement. (laughs) And thank you for giving me this opportunity to be the center of attention. Again. Because I have to just tell you that one of the people who directed me was yelling and criticizing. And somebody said, you're awfully hard on Lois. And she said, no, Lois doesn't care long as you talk about her. (laughs) So thank you. Just wait till this virus is over. Uh, You're going to all be over here. I'll throw one of my biggest parties. I know. Well, let me tell you, I've made 13 marriages. Did you need a more liberal grandmother? No, Nana, you're a perfect grandmother. And you're a perfect granddaughter. Oh. Isn't she? Well, she's sort of a little outrageous. She's, you know, but she's gotten through with the love of her children and more than the love of her grandchildren, so it worked. Absolutely. She just is who she is. Yeah, she's not offending anybody. No, I say good for her. Say what you want about me. That's me, right? Rita, I have never heard anybody say anything but wonderful things about you. Okay, but don't put this on the podcast. I'm embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. If I had said, everybody says terrible things about you, that That I wouldn't wouldn't put on the podcast. Call Your Grandmother is a production of iHeartRadio and Superb Entertainment. The hosts of the show are... Me, Rita Kay. And me, Ellen Bernstein-Grotsky. Created by Meryl Poster. Produced and directed by Anna Stump. With producer Abu Zafar. And associate producer, Emily Marinoff. Managing producer, Lindsay Hoffman. And executive producers are... Meryl Poster... Nikki Etor and Mangesh Hatikadur. Music and mastering by Hamilton Lighthouser and Anna Stump. Listen, we can now start to lobby for a bus to bring us to a town near you. Just leave a big review and we can start to lobby for that bus. We'll bring something hot to eat too. It's either chopped liver or gefilte fish. My kids don't like chopped liver and gefilte fish. Well, my fish. kids like chopped liver, so what do you want? My kids like macaroni and cheese. That's hard to eat on a bus, Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> a new season of Bridgerton is here. 
And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.